So we're looking at another story about transformation. I say story, but this really happened. Uh, this is an event in history about transformation. And uh, if you're taking notes or if you're um, watching the time, there's five parts this evening, okay? We're going to look at this story in five parts. So, uh, and they should be of all the equal length. But uh, you can hurry me along if you... Or throw something at me if I'm going on for too long. But this is about a man who woke up that morning not knowing that his life would never be the same again when he went to bed at the end of it. And that might be true of you here this evening as well. And my prayer is that we'll both be encouraged and that we'll both be challenged by what happened to Zacchaeus. But ultimately, this isn't his story. It's about Jesus and who he is, and the consequence of meeting with him. So let's look at this first part. And the first part is Zacchaeus seeks. Now imagine a close friend of yours has met a celebrity. During uh, lockdown, uh, I was going for a walk. And uh, we, I'm not sure about you in lockdown, but I did the same walk every day. And it was miserable. <laughs> we were very fortunate that we live, we live next to the, the River Taff in Cardiff. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice walk, to be fair. But doing the same thing every day is not fun. And I was taking my, uh, I think he was six months at the time. I was trying to get him to sleep. And uh, he was in the buggy. And someone overtakes me as he, as he walks past. And uh, I thought I, I recognized this man. And it turns out it was, it was David Mitchell the comedian, um, who you might have seen, Would I Lie to You? Um, he's very, very angry most of the time at the things of this world. Um, but he was in Cardiff, and uh, he was very nice. He uh, posed for a picture. He told me, make sure we're two metres apart. And we had a picture. His wife was filming something in Cardiff, and so he was happy to have a picture with me. I was very excited, and uh, I told people that I'd met David Mitchell, and they all asked me, what is he like? Is he exactly like he is on the television? And that's what people tend to ask. When you meet someone famous, they ask, what was he like? And Jesus was creating this sort of buzz in first century Judea. And Zacchaeus had this same sort of curiosity about him. What is he actually like? He'd heard rumors and stories about the miracles he had performed, about the sermons he had told, about the, the meals that he had shared with outcasts in society but what was he actually like and then one day Zacchaeus was was maybe sat at his tax booth and he was counting the money that he had made that day and maybe he overheard a conversation maybe there was a, a stonemason talking to one of the the market salesmen I don't know and uh, they were talking and Zacchaeus is listening in yeah his name's Jesus he, he was a carpenter I heard he was he was pretty good he gave that all up. Now he, he's a preacher and he goes from place to place. And did you hear about the blind man? Yeah, he healed the blind man. Yeah, I think it's a con. What do you think? And you can imagine Zacchaeus, as the conversation's going on, he's listening in. It's very intriguing. Now, Zacchaeus himself wasn't very popular. We thought this morning about a very popular and successful man. Zacchaeus was successful, but not very popular. Uh, he was... Um, Someone 
who was maybe as he walked down the street, people would have spat at him and called him names. Not because he was short, but the Bible does tell us he was short. There's only three people in the Bible that they mention their heights. We've got Goliath, who's very, very tall. We've got Saul, who's very, very tall. And Zacchaeus, who's very, very short. So um, uh, it's a strange claim to fame, isn't it? But it wasn't because he was short that he was called names. But it was because he was a disgrace to the country. Because he was a turncoat. He was a traitor. Now the Romans had taken over uh, Judea. And he was someone whose allegiance could be bought like that. He was so flimsy, he had little national pride that he was bought at a price. And throughout the Roman Empire, they had this system of taxing. And uh, it was uh, called tax farming. And the way it worked was, at the start of the year, the Romans wanted to make their money right at the beginning of the year. So they said, who can pay us the most for the privilege of being able to tax this area? And so people would say, I'll offer £500, and I'll offer £1,000. And so the person that offered £1,000, if that was the most, they would get the privilege of being able to collect taxes for that area. And the, the money that the Romans collected for that area was the £1,000 that that man had paid, or woman had paid. And uh, then the person that had won that right to tax that area could charge whatever he liked. And whatever he made on top of that £1,000, say, that was his to keep. So it's a, it was a very clever scheme for the Romans. They got their money at the start of the year. It was a very clever scheme for whoever could pay that amount of money at the start. And uh, Zacchaeus was one of these tax farmers. It says he was a chief tax collector. So if you were ruthless and you were clever enough, you could make money from your fellow countrymen. And the, the Romans didn't care. They had their money. They earned it at the start of the, of the year. So perhaps understandably, these people weren't well liked because they were taking money from other people. And uh, it was money that the Romans didn't even take themselves. So they were seen as extortioners. They were seen as unjust. And they were considered religiously unclean. No one wanted to go anywhere near them. Their houses were considered houses of sinners. They hated tax collectors in the same way that they hated gamblers and prostitutes and, and people like that as thieves. And the passage tells us that he was one of these chief tax collectors. So he, he maybe had a, a huge mansion and a holiday home on the Sea of Galilee and the, the latest pair of sandals. And uh, despite his riches, he wasn't very happy. How can we know this? Does the Bible tell us Zacchaeus was miserable? No, it doesn't. But you know how we know he wasn't happy with his life? Because happy and content men don't climb trees in this way they don't open themselves maybe they do maybe you'll tell me afterwards I love climbing trees I'll stay clear of you if you do <laughs> um, but people who are already hated by the rest of their countrymen don't open themselves to uh, ridicule and shame in this way they don't run and they don't climb trees in public especially in those days in that culture Zacchaeus had had deep pockets but he had an empty life. And he was an unlikely convert as well. Now, if you were to think of who, was, who would be an unlikely convert today, you maybe think of 
of a foul-mouthed bully at school or, or a violent gang member or the atheist uh, philosophy professor at, at your university or whatever. Um, but if you were to draw up a, a list of unlikely converts in, in first century Jericho, then Zacchaeus's name would be near the top. But remember, there's no such list when it comes to Jesus. He has no limitations. There's no one he thinks, he's too far gone for me. He's run out of chances this time. Because Jesus forgives the unforgivable. He loves the unlovable. And the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. And uh, in the chapter before this, if you... uh, Look over, if you've got your Bibles, there's a a bit in Luke 18, in verse 18 as well. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Another rich man. This preacher is obsessed with rich men. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, Jesus said. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honour your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, uh, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who could be saved? He said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So what will happen when Jesus encounters another rich man. And that's where we meet Zacchaeus. And Luke has purposely placed these two stories so near each other so that we can compare them. And we see Zacchaeus. This uh, man wearing the finest clothes, but he's in a tree, hoping that the the thick branches and the the big leaves will cover him and that he'll be able to hide from the people that he swindled that week. Part two, Jesus finds. And whenever we have repetition in the Bible, this is a a good good technique to, to... to have when you're looking at your Bible, if something is repeated, if you see similar words repeated, it means that it's important. And I want you to look at verses three and four to see some repetition. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. Carrying on in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So there's lots of these looking and seeing and uh, uh, seeking, those kind of words. And Zacchaeus thought he was the one looking for Jesus. But it was Jesus looking to him, looking out for him. And Jesus says, doesn't he, at the end, of the, of the chapter, of uh, the section in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the reason Jesus came into the world. That's the reason why he came through Jericho. It wasn't just 
for the scenic view. It wasn't for his convenience. It was because he wanted to have this conversation with Zacchaeus. And he came into the world to save sinners like Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus had tried to satisfy the desires of his heart with money. But despite his riches, he felt lost. So Jesus came in and stepped into this world. So uh, and maybe to Zacchaeus' horror, Jesus looks up into this tree that Zacchaeus has climbed into. And he says to him, there in verse 5, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now notice that Jesus calls him by name. How does Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? Is it because he is God? Well, often in the scriptures, when Jesus knows something because he is God, we have things like uh, little phrases like Jesus knowing all things. We don't have that here. So I think, and, and uh, I've, I've nicked this from some... Is that, is that working now? Great, thank you. Now, after I finished preaching this morning, imagine if I said, I'm coming to your house today. I'm sure you'd be absolutely mortified. What kind of state did I leave the living room in? Is there any food in the cupboard? What if he doesn't like things? What if he's a fussy eater? Uh, we don't know what Zacchaeus' home looked like that day. Was there evidence of his, of his great wealth and his godless life? Plain to see, did he have uh, wine cups uh, from the party he had the night before? Or, or statues of Roman gods in, in plain sight? We don't know. But what we do know is Jesus said, I'm coming today. And he stepped in to see Zacchaeus where he was. And he does the same thing for us. He doesn't wait for us to, to tidy up our lives before he comes. He comes where we are. It's always on his terms and not ours. And it's a reminder, isn't it, that it's always Jesus who invites himself into our lives. We're not partners in salvation. It's not us saying, please come in. He is the one who moved towards us. And it's, it's strange, isn't it? We think people coming to faith, it's always through a, a sermon or through a Bible study. But Jesus doesn't do either of those things here. It's by this invitation that Zacchaeus puts his trust in Christ. As I said earlier, Zacchaeus' house would have been off limits to any self-respecting Jew. It was unclean. He wouldn't have dreamt of going there. But Jesus, in inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house, is showing that he is willing to meet Zacchaeus where he is, in his uncleanness, in his shame. And when everyone else was, was turning their noses up at him, when everyone else was, was refusing to draw near, 
Jesus says, I'll eat with you. I'll be your guest. I'll be your friend. And Zacchaeus is filled with joy. And Jesus and joy are never far away from each other. Because Jesus brings joy. Not fear or dread. Joy. Because uh, as, we, as we said, if someone said they were inviting uh, themselves round to your house, you would be, you'd be panic-stricken, I think. But what's Zacchaeus' reaction in verse 6? He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Jesus doesn't fill people with, with guilt and shame. He fills sinners with comfort, knowing that he is willing to forgive. He makes outsiders insiders. He makes public enemies like Zacchaeus his friends. Which leads us to part four. Zacchaeus welcomes. And Zacchaeus's response is the response of someone whose life is now separated in two. Life before Jesus and life after Jesus. And he can't believe the patience and the kindness shown to him by Jesus. But despite this joy, the onlookers aren't impressed. Look at verse 7. And when they saw it, this is the teachers of the law and the, the religious leaders of the time, the most respected people in society. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I'm sure they spoke like that. But that is exactly who Jesus wanted to meet with. He has said to them before, it's not the, the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And they needed to realize that Jesus wanted to eat with those who were sinners. And if Jesus had gone to the, the religious leader's house, he would also be eating with sinners because they were all sinners too. They didn't see their need for a savior, and yet Zacchaeus did. They used the law of Moses, and they added their own laws too to make themselves look better. And they thought they, they had the right to tell others that they couldn't approach Jesus. You can't approach Jesus. You can't approach God. You're not good enough for him. Well, that's true. They weren't good enough, but neither were they. But Jesus came to them. We don't know. I'd love to know what the conversation around the dinner table was. But what we do know is this instantaneous change in Zacchaeus' life. Look at verse 8. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor... And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, which he has, I restore it fourfold. You see, the Holy Spirit was working in the life of Zacchaeus. There is a, an immediate change in his priorities. And unlike the, the rich young ruler who we saw in chapter 18, whose head dropped and his heart sank when Jesus challenged him about his wealth, Zacchaeus goes above and beyond. He gives generously. And not only does he... Um, give generously, he gives back to those that he has deceived. Now, if uh, Zacchaeus knew his Old Testament, which I'm, I'm sure he did, I'm sure he learnt the Old Testament when he was educated or when he was brought up going to the synagogue, he would have learnt that thieves and extortioners were supposed to give back double. But such is the change in his heart by the work of Jesus, he wants to give double, double. He wants to give four times the amount. And we, we hear this and we, we sing about it in, in Sunday school songs maybe. 
and uh, we think of Zacchaeus, but we don't think about the immediate consequences for Zacchaeus' life. He would have had to move out of his big mansion. He would have had to stop wearing those nice sandals. He would have had to give up his job. All these things, they were immediate consequences for doing this. Because Zacchaeus didn't say, I'll, I'll wait until I die and I'll, and I'll leave a healthy sum in my inheritance for the poor. No, he sets out to restore as soon as he can. And that's what the transforming power of Jesus does. It's a challenge for us to see, isn't it, in the life of someone else. And we think to our own lives, are there people that we have wronged? Are there people that we have lied to? Are there debts that we owe? Grudges that we hold? Apologies that we have kept to ourselves? We must not put off these things. We must do them in a a gracious, Christ-centered way. And whether these restitutions, whether these actions come the day that we become Christians or, or today, whether we've been putting it off all our lives and we do it today, we must act today. The, the sooner we can do it, the better. We must not delay. It's not just a case of saying we will not sin again in the future, as Zacchaeus does here. It's restoring those that we have denied, that we have upset, that we have taken advantage of. That's what Christ shows us to do. When Jesus saves, it's not only that we are forgiven and that we are seen as righteous in the eyes of God, but our actions are changed. As uh, the picture uh, Jesus shows in Matthew, he says, you will know a believer by their fruit. If you're walking down the street and you see an apple tree, you can tell it's an apple tree because it has apples on it. And maybe you walk past a, a cherry tree you know it's a cherry tree, don't you? Because it has cherries on it. And a Christian's life will begin to look differently when they become a Christian, when they meet Jesus. And the Bible talks about fruit that you will see from a Christian. And the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's uh, natural for the Christian to begin showing those things. And we see those fruit in Uh, the life of Zacchaeus, straight away. And part five, we see Jesus proclaiming. Like I said at the start, this is not just Zacchaeus' story, this is Jesus' story featuring Zacchaeus. And this story ends with with Jesus' words. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. He doesn't say salvation has been earned today. Today. He doesn't say salvation has been understood. It's an intellectual thing. Well done for for getting it, Zacchaeus. He doesn't say salvation has been won or salvation has come. Because as we said, and he does say salvation has come, sorry. Because as we said before, it's it's Jesus who who has earned this. He is the one who has made this change. Because uh, Zacchaeus might have climbed a tree to see Jesus, but Jesus was the one who went up on a tree to change Zacchaeus' life. He was the one that changed it forever by dying on that tree. And notice that this is a direct jab at the religious leaders. Did you notice that? He calls this reject a son of Abraham. Now Abraham was the the father of the Jewish nation. He was the the poster boy for, for Jews everywhere. 
and the man who God had called out of her and made promises to. And this angry mob had grumbled that Jesus was dining with this sinner. And they prided themselves on being sons of Abraham. And Jesus reclaims that title for its true purpose here. He says, this is a true son of Abraham. And yes, Zacchaeus was a Jew. So he technically was already a son of Abraham. But it's through faith that he realizes that title. And once again, Jesus is drawing a distinction between religiosity, being a good person so that others can see, and faith, trusting in the Lord Jesus. Between being saved by the, by the blood of Abraham, by your ethnicity, and being saved by the blood of Jesus. So where are you sat this evening? Are you sat in a tree? Have you sat in a, in a metaphorical tree this evening? You've come to church wanting to, to seek out who this Jesus guy is. Wanting to know a bit more about him. But you've wanted to hide behind the leaves so that anything that happened, happened on your own terms. Now, Jesus is calling you out from that tree and he's saying, I want to come to your home. Stop looking for the things of this world to provide the satisfaction and the joy that only Jesus can bring. Come to Christ this evening. He comes to find those who are lost. And let me challenge you again. Maybe you're already saved. You might have been a Christian for many, many years. But something has uh, been uh, cropped up in your memory um, as we spoke about uh, past sins and, and uh, debts that are owed and uh, apologies that have been left unsaid. Well, even if it's uh, 10, 20, 30 years too late, uh, Jesus is merciful. and Go, uh, restore that person. Uh, the Lord Jesus tells us, doesn't he, to restore those relationships that we have before we come to him. He wants us to restore those that we have wronged before we come uh, to worship him. Um, he wants us uh, to uh, repair our relationships with those. And we can only do that in the grace of God. We can't do that in our own strength. We are so quick uh, to uh, find a fight, aren't we? To, to pick an argument. But through the grace of God, we can um, be at peace with those who are in our churches, who are in our families, who are in our neighborhoods. And we can pay back those that we have wronged through the blood of Jesus.